So you can see that by when Jesus comes on the scene, this is a political mess. It, I mean, just like any government. You have Caiaphas, the high priest, who's got political power, and he's corrupt. And you got Annas, who's technically not the high priest, but he's still got political power. He's calling the shots. And then you got Pilate, who's the prefect, representing Roman interests. But at the same time, he's kind of selfishly doesn't like the Jews and trying to anger them. And then you got Herod, who's also king, who's technically submits to Pilate on some occasions, but other things he doesn't have to. And you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin is largely controlled by... And then you got zealots rebelling, and this is just a political powder keg. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and just starts making these audacious claims about who he is that just makes everybody unhappy in every kind of a way, except for the everyday normal Jews who just want to be saved from all this. My hope is that with all this that you understand that this is just a crazy time period. Imagine yourself being the everyday normal person like you and I are right now. You've got your job, you've got your children. All you want to do is you just want to have a safe and secure life. You want peace. And you're trying to do God's will to the best of your ability as an everyday normal person. Or you, you've got your family and your children and you just want them to be safe and secure. And you're just trying to be a godly person as the best of your ability. And then around you, you've got all this turmoil. Even whatever we're going through right now in America, this is nothing compared to the political unrest of the time of Israel. Because, yes, we've got two parties of Democrats and Republicans, and we're pretty divided and fractured as a nation between these things more than we've ever had, or at least more publicly than we've ever have been in the history of America, or at least our lifetime in America. But overall, that's really it. But with Israel, remember, if you're an everyday normal Jew, you're poor. You're absolutely poor. You're below the poverty rate. And you're paying these ridiculous taxes that are going to put you under at any moment and threaten your life. At the same time, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees that are warring it out with each other. And you have Herod, Antipas, and you have Pilate. And Pilate's intentionally ticking you off. At least our presidents are intentionally trying to tick us off so they can kill us and mass rebellions. And, and at the same time, you've got the zealots, uh, this militia that's constantly attacking Rome and killing them, and then Rome's killing you back. And, and then anybody, time that anybody does anything, Rome's going to crucify you. And then you have to walk down the street on your way to work or the restaurant, and you have to watch these people like bleeding out in front of you and try to explain that to your kids on the way to work and on to school. And, and all you know is like you're barely making it. Financially, you're barely, barely making it. Um, at any moment, you can be caught in the crossfire of a rebellion being put down, or just because you just happen to be some zealot's nephew, Rome's going to come in and kill you. You're, somebody in your family has probably been crucified at one point in your life, and you, this is your life, and way more than that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, and you think he's the Messiah really truly believe that he's the messiah because he's doing things that nobody's ever done he's talking with an authority about scriptures that nobody's ever done he is standing up to the sadducees and the pharisees both and though you really like the pharisees you still don't really like the fact that like why are they so wealthy but i'm not and now jesus is not wealthy 
and he doesn't have this big giant bank account and all these nice robes and he's teaching with authority and, and not only that he's doing miracles and healing people and if that doesn't prove that he's from god then i don't know what does and then not only that like not only is he not kicking the hornet's nest and causing you to be killed in a random crossfire but he's actually healing you and bringing people back from the dead and so you're literally going to put all your hopes and desires in this man because this man looks like it more than anything else and so this is why they so passionately and so quickly just flocked to him in the masses and followed him and hung on every word that he said not just because he was a good teacher, not just because he healed people, but because he's the guy who's going to free you from all this crap. I mean, I asked you before, how many of you want to live in this time period? How many of you can track with everything that was happening? And now he's come to free you from this and deliver you this. Now, at the same time, when he doesn't end up actually doing that, and he claims to be the Messiah, which means that he's essentially promised you that he's going to free you politically in the way that you interpret it, because all the messianic passages are about a king who will bring political deliverance and dominate the nations. So if he claims to be a Messiah, then that means he's claiming to fulfill the promise of God to do that. And now he's not doing it. You've invested three years of your life following this guy, Maybe you've even stopped paying taxes thinking that this is the moment. Maybe you have done some things you shouldn't have done as a result of that. Or if you haven't, you still think that this guy is it and you've invested a lot of passion, a lot of emotions, got really excited. And now he's talking about he's got to die. And he's looking really pathetic and weak. And no offense, he looks like a loser to you now that he's come into Jerusalem and he you declared him king and he accepted that title and now he's not doing anything and you can understand why you're angry now people who are scorned or feel betrayed after that much investment and that much passion are going to really turn on a dime and hate you and so their passion and fervor for crucify him crucify him that is all the passion of three years that they've invested in him because they're so tired of being kicked in the gut over and over again by Rome. And then now they have n that passion hasn't been fulfilled. And when that passion has no outlet, because you're not taking the passion and doing something with it, then that only outlet that usually happens with people becomes bitter and anger. And then they go into protests and violence and kill you. And we've seen that. Um, we've seen that in America even, when well-intentioned, very good protests that are passionate for the right causes, don't bear any fruit, and then it turns into bitter angerness, and they can't help but turn on each other and destroy their own neighborhoods and hurt people because they don't know where to put that passion after it's built up so much. This is the scene that Jesus walks into. This is the world that he walks into. At what point does he walk into it? He walks into it 6 BC. This is when he was born. I know that we often think like, well, okay, B.C. is before Christ and A.D. is Adonadominia, the year of our Lord, after his birth. So wasn't he born in zero? Well, that's the way they did the, the calendar. When the Gregorian calendar came along under the Catholic Church, they believed that Jesus was born at this moment. And so they made that zero and they counted back before Christ. 
and then they counted forward after that. Unfortunately, the the person, the people who did that calendar made an error in their calculations. So most likely, he was born in 6 BC, six years before the year of our Lord. And the reason we know this is because we know that Herod the first died in 4 BC. So we know that Herod is the king that was ruling over Israel when Jesus was born. Because Herod is the king that the Magi came to looking for the Messiah. And the scriptures pointed to Bethlehem. And Herod said, hey, when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to worship him. But he really wanted to kill him. And then they didn't come back to him because God warned them. But he ended up sending soldiers down to Bethlehem and killing the baby boys that were there. So that means that if Herod died in 4 BC, Jesus had to be born at least in that year or before that year because he can't be be born after Herod's death. So that means he was born before 4 BC. Most scholars believe that when the baby boys were killed, it was two years after Jesus' birth. When you go in the Gospels and look at the timing, the Magi actually came to Jesus after his birth. I know your nativities, um, you have the, the, the you have the shepherds and the magi both standing there together looking over Jesus' crib. No, 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 no. All right. Well, first of all, your nativities are wrong in a lot of ways, but we'll talk about that when we get to Luke. Sorry to burst your little bubbles. Um, we have a nativity too, but historically revised for to fit the occasions. But I'll explain that when we get to the Gospel of Luke. Basically, the shepherds were there right at Jesus' birth. But the Magi don't come until two years later. So at that point, Jesus is no longer in that nativity scene anymore. He's moved another part, probably into a house um, in Jerusalem. Or, yeah, in, sorry, in Bethlehem. And it's that time that the Magi come. So that means that most scholars believe that Jesus, the Magi come when Jesus is two years old. So that's why we put Jesus' birth around 6 B.C., about to. So most scholars believe it's probably around 7 or 6 BC when Jesus is born. That's the world he comes into. So Herod I is king, and Octavian is the emperor, and then when Jesus is born, he comes into this world, Herod I dies, the kingdom gets, once again, I know this is like drinking from the fire hose when it comes to historical names and dates. We have covered 400 years of political history. So that's a lot. And we've covered a lot of names. And we went through a lot of dates that you probably don't remember one date now. But remember, the point of this was not to get you to memorize everything. If you want to do that and you really want to invest more time into this, you've got my notes, you've got the audio, you can go back through that again. I can lead you to other websites that are really good at help illustrating this. There's lots of YouTube videos that take you through these time periods and that kind of stuff. Not a whole lot on the Herods and um, the Prefix and the Pharisees and that kind of stuff, but a lot on Rome and the Greeks and that kind of stuff. This is, this is your starting point. You've got your introductory Wikipedia article, except it's actually accurate, on this time period. And you now have a good idea if you want to dive in deeper. But the most important reason that we did this was to help you understand the world, at least. You may not remember every name or date in that kind of a sense, but at least you now know the political environment, what the world was like for them, what might be going through the mind of an everyday normal Jew. 
And what this will better do is help you understand the Gospels. So when we head into Luke or any other time with any other pastor or on your own in your own Bible studies that you do, uh, Matthew, Mark, or John, this will help you better understand this is what the Pharisees are like. This is what's driving them and motivating them. This is what the Sadducees are like. This is who Herod truly is. This is who Pilate really is. And these are the people living under these people. And it will help you better understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing, why he says what he says, and why the people are reacting the way that they do. And even as I've mentioned some things in kind of a teaser a little bit, Hopefully you've already begun to see the fruits and the benefits of this kind of stuff. This is the intertestamental history.